You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Amen. If you got kids up to second grade who are going to go back uh, and, and continue worshiping in the kids' area, then you can let them go now, and they'll be led uh, over to their classes by their teachers. And we're going to be uh, still in Colossians chapter 1, so if you're hanging out with us in here, you can get to Colossians 1, and uh, starting in verse 21. I'll get you, give you a minute to get there. If you don't know me, uh, my name's Patrick. I'm one of the elders here, and really glad that you're with us. Uh, hope to lead you well this morning in the truth and, and give you an opportunity to really engage with the Lord. All right, so just as we, as we normally do, let's, uh, I'll read this passage out loud, uh, Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23, and then after we've read it out loud, we'll ask the Lord for some help just for what we hope to see him do here. The Apostle Paul says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us now to... Turn our attention to your word and your truth. Thank you for Matt and his leadership to lead us in praising you, praising you in your truth and, and remembering your gospel and how it washes us and secures us, saves us from ourselves, from the penalty of our sins. Lord, as we continue in worship now, we ask you that you would drive your word deeply into our hearts, even those those places that we've tried to keep from you and hide from you, would you help us this morning to lay our whole self down, to be really ready to hear from you, to be eager to hear from you, even in the ways that contradict our feelings, our plans, things that we've been putting hope in that are not named Jesus. Lord, please help us. We know that it's through your word and through your spirit that we experience your power. And so, Lord, I, I ask you to please focus our attention on what you would have to say to us this morning. Please make us more like Jesus. Let us leave here changed to be different than the people who walked into this room this morning. For your glory, Lord, and for our joy in you. And we ask all this, trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, the book of Colossians, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, is, um, is a book that is focusing our attention on the Lord Jesus, and, and that's what the entire Bible is meant to do. 
But, but in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is meaning to hold Jesus up and exalt him in a way that he would be seen as, as the largest, the grandest, most glorious figure in, in all of creation, but also transcending creation because he is creator. And, and everything finds its being in him, and he's the end of everything and the beginning of everything, and, and everything holds together through him. Uh, everything, and even as Galen preached uh, last week, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, even the things that we can't see, the spiritual realm, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, those are physical or spiritual dominions, rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for his glory. So Jesus is just the greatest and the best and the most powerful, and it serves us well to submit ourselves to him because he's king anyway. So to, to know that we belong to him and to embrace that identity is essential for us. It's where we find eternal life. We just call it salvation. We, we talk about it as our identity in Christ, to know ourselves by knowing him. So here we come to verse 21. And we've had Paul introduce uh, a, a little bit of a shift in attention, and, and it's about shifting our attention to what Jesus has done for us, his people, his church. We, we know what he's done now to create the whole world and to rule over it, and, and in such a way that all things will glorify him. But then here in verse 19, he says, "...for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus..." to reconcile to himself all things, reconcile. So something is broken and fractured in the relationship between God and all things, and Jesus means to reconcile that relationship between a holy God and a broken creation, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we know that the way Jesus is going to accomplish this reconciliation of all things to their maker is through the cross. But we narrow the focus even more now. Instead of just speaking broadly of all things, knowing that creation is broken because of our sin, and it's even groaning as, like in Paul, as Paul says elsewhere, groaning as in the, in the pangs of childbirth, waiting to be redeemed and reconciled fully to its creator, now we narrow the focus down and it's personalized to humanity and to the church, to us who are trusting Jesus. Verse 21, and you, and you. So we go all the way from speaking of Jesus enthroned over all things down to you. And that's a long journey to get from Jesus to you, to me. And, and I... I want to point something out here. I think it's very important for us to see the way Paul begins to speak about us, including himself. Look at what he says here, just verse 21 by itself. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, alienated, hostile, evil, introduced us into this gospel narrative in not the most friendly of ways exactly. <laughs> like, 
But the Bible does this to us. Over and over again, the Bible introduces humanity as a problem. Humanity has a deep abiding problem, and that problem is our sinfulness. Like the hymn says, we're prone to wander. We feel it. We know it's inside of us. And even as saved people, we feel that tug from the flesh drawing us back into a natural way of living. But here he's speaking about who we were before Christ. And this is a little bit harsh for those of us who aren't who aren't accustomed to being engaged in our identity apart from Christ and what we were without Him or what we even are without Him if we don't know Him, trust Him, love Him, have committed our lives to following Him, then this is our reality apart from Christ. Alienated from God. That is not reconciled. Separated from God and even hostile in our minds. We have plans for ourselves that don't align with God's plans for us. We are not about living to the glory of God. We're about living to the glory of ourselves. And that creates hostility between us and God when he's not about our glory. Doing evil deeds, we're just sinners. We're sinners apart from Christ. And that's where our identity stops, apart from Christ just sinners. The Bible, again, it does this to us all the time. We've got examples, even, I mean, it would be easy to go to the Old Testament and find some things that just make us very uncomfortable. Conversations prophets had with people and and all these kinds of things, God uh, judgments over, over people who were sinning. There's just some things that are hard to hear, hard to digest about humanity and to include ourselves as human beings who are part of that sin problem in the world. But even in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3, we've got John the Baptist whose mission was to come into the world and introduce the world to Jesus, to clear the path for him. And so John is always preaching this message of repentance. And one day John is, is out baptizing and, uh, and the Pharisees approach him. Those religious elite rulers of the day who were about their glory, about being recognized for their holiness and their righteousness and and their own works that they believe justified them before God. And when he saw them, this is what happened, Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You brood of vipers. That's harsh language, right? He wasn't dancing around or tiptoeing around the fact that they were really messed up, self-righteous people. They needed to know that. And now, I mean, I didn't bring like a camel fur coat as an illustration or anything, but he was wild. He, he was a bit wild. He ate bugs and honey and things like that. So you could maybe say, well, that's just John. That was John's ministry. He was, he was a little wild like that and very abrasive figure out in the wilderness. But there was something about that message that Jesus, I think, liked. Because later on, Matthew chapter 12, he looks at the Pharisees and says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? Straight up, right? Just straight up. Later on, Matthew 23, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? 
Now, if you've got little kids, I know you've been tempted to bust out the brood of vipers language. <laughs> you, you brood of vipers. How will you escape? <laughs> repent. You got to tell your kids to repent, but I don't know if the brood of vipers thing is helpful. But biblically, there are just times when strong language is necessary so that we understand our place in this narrative of the gospel, right? We understand who we are in the story. We always want to be the hero in every biblical story, but we're just not. Jesus is. He always is. In every biblical story, if it's, if it's a foreshadowing of or a reflection of what Jesus has done, then we understand Jesus is the hero, we know that's the case. In this case, Paul isn't using harsh language to oppose enemies of Christ, but instead he's reminding us, speaking plainly with us about people Jesus loves, about where we've come from, what we've been rescued from. And this is important for us because if we're not being honest about where we come from, then we aren't being honest about the reason Jesus died on a cross. If we're not willing to say, we have a problem, a sin problem, that, that we all apart from Christ are alienated from God, hostile in our minds towards Him, doing evil deeds, and that's just it. That's what we've got to offer apart from Christ. If we can't be honest and accept that that's who we are, in our natural selves, then we're not being honest about why Jesus died on a cross. Because he didn't suffer and die to make a bunch of great people even more awesome. That's just, that wasn't his plan. Man, these people are amazing. I can't wait to die for them. Imagine what they'll be then. That just isn't the gospel. He died for the sins of sinners. And that's who we all were. So gospel people understand their lives are really spiritual rags-to-riches stories. Every one of us. None of us started ahead of the curve. None of us is just naturally really good, and some of us aren't. And so it's easier for Jesus to save some of us than others. Like, we, have, we don't have as far to go. I know that we all feel like there's those people in our lives. Maybe you feel like you're that person. If you kind of grew up in church and you don't remember a time when you didn't love Jesus... You just, I mean, praise God. I, that's what I want my kids' testimony to be, right? I, I want my kids to grow up never remembering a time when they didn't know and love Jesus and were committed to following him. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a point in their time where they were saved from the penalty of their sins. And we've just got to all recognize that we come from the same place. If we think that somehow any of us have escaped that as being our story, that we were alienated and hostile and evil before Jesus saved us, then we fall into the trap that Paul was speaking to the Galatians about. He says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, the grace of God, unmerited favor, unearned gift. For if righteousness were through the law, that is what we can accomplish, then Christ died for no purpose. He died for nothing if we can be good enough on our own. So here Paul is, is preaching the gospel, he's magnifying Jesus, and he's, he's in the midst of it, has to speak plainly with us 
about where we come from. And we just all have to embrace that, let that be true. We all come from rags, apart from Christ. But then it moves on, and there's really, really good news. Verse 22, he has now reconciled you, he says, and you, being who you were, being under the penalty of your sins, alienated from God, hostile in your mind. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. Reconciliation. This reconciliation came at the cost of of the life of Christ. He was judged and punished in our place for our sins. And again, we can say that, but if we're not willing to recognize we are sinners and we needed him to die for us and we're worthless and, and dead in our sins apart from him, then the gospel loses its power. It loses its power in our lives. We, we've got to recognize that and understand Jesus died for our sins in our place on the cross. We deserve the cross. And now if we, we're, we're understanding that's our position and, and the place in the story that we occupy, judged and punished, is what we deserve, then look at the next part of this. To be presented as holy and blameless and above reproach. But that's Jesus' place. Jesus is holy and blameless, and above reproach. Before any of this was created, before anyone came into being, Jesus existed as, as a member of the triune Godhead, the Son, in eternity. Uh, apart from, from earth or, or human existence, Jesus existed eternally in fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, and it was all good all the time in His holiness and His majesty. Holy and blameless and above reproach. That means there's, there's nothing in his character or in the way he walks or the way he lives or speaks that anyone could bring any accusation against him. He's above reproach. That's Jesus' place that he's occupied eternally. And yet the gospel says, who was holy and blameless and above reproach entered into our position into our place, condescended so that on the cross, he took on the blame and the reproach that was ours. We've effectively switched places with Jesus in the cross. We were made righteous and, and as the scriptures say, 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So in, in 2 Corinthians, he's speaking about reconciliation also. And look, he goes in the same place. For our sake, he made him to, to be sin. That is, Jesus was so immersed in our sin that you could say he became it. His identity no longer on the cross blameless, above reproach, holy, but it was saturated in our evil, in our hostility, alienation. He took our place. For our sake, he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But Jesus is the righteousness of God. And we get to occupy that space, that space that only Jesus has ever been able to occupy. We're brought up to his position as he condescends into ours. So this reconciliation we've received then, this is so vital for us to understand. It it becomes very confused in a culture that is really tempted to, to draw people in by making much of them, making them as comfortable as possible and speaking as little as possible about our desperate, dire need of being saved from ourselves. Listen, brothers and sisters, This reconciliation that we've received is not just patching things up with a holy God that we've offended. Not just patching things up. In our relationships with one another, we will offend one another and then patch things up. And and what patching things up means, I know we're not okay, but we're going to just pretend to be okay. And there's things in my heart that are still hostile towards you or dissatisfied with you, angry with you even. But for the sake of keeping the peace, I'm going to patch things up with you. I'm going to be friendly. I'll invite you over. I might go out of my way for you. But in my heart, there are still things that I just am not okay with you. There's a division here. This barrier between us that hasn't really been overcome at the heart level. This reconciliation that we've received for what Jesus did on the cross is not patching things up. It's not God saying, look, you're sick, you're sinful, uh, you're, you're rebellious against me, hostile towards me. Even when you know me, even when I've showered you with grace, gifts, and love, you still rebel against me at times, but for the sake of just keeping the peace, I will tolerate you. I'll let you sit at my table. I'll let you come into my house. I'm not cool with you, but, but I'll lay myself down in order to just patch things up. What's happened here is not patching things up. It's healing It's healing that has happened, that we have received a different identity. Now we're not people who have offended God and are offenders, offenders that he tolerates. But instead, Jesus took our position on the cross so that we might take his position before the Father as holy and blameless and above reproach so that we could be accepted by God fully, as acceptable to God as Jesus is. That's your identity as reconciled to God. Reconciled comprehensively, categorically. There is no thing about you that in the eternal scheme of things God has not overcome so that he would have unbroken fellowship with you, friendship with you, that you are sons and daughters of God, not tolerable rebels. This is our reconciliation that we've received through what Jesus accomplished. Jesus is inserting us into a space in God's presence and in God's affections that could only be occupied by him before. 
It's a space where unholy people can't even dare to enter. Here's the difficulty with it. Life doesn't feel like we've received that in full, does it? It's hard to embrace that. And let me be honest with you. If, if I can just be completely transparent with you as just a brother, a, a person who's seeking to follow Jesus, to, to overcome sin, to, to follow him sincerely with my whole heart, to not be who I was, alienated and hostile and doing evil deeds, but rather to, to really embrace my identity in Christ as holy and blameless and above reproach, to accept that by faith that that's something he did and I didn't earn, is a real challenge for me at times, especially when I screw up. And the times I've realized where disbelief has crept into my soul is normally when I've sinned and I suddenly realize it's difficult for me to pray. Not because I'm angry at God, because I feel like God's angry at me. How can he accept me? How can he tolerate me, much less love me, much less have an excitement to gather me in close to himself and and embrace me and wash me in grace and speak tenderly to me and call me son? How can he do that when I know myself? I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. And, And here's why. I'm just normal. I'm just normal. And for a normal person to receive this thing that is foolishness to the human mind, that we could be loved by God, is an unthinkable thing when we're being honest about who we are. If we're willing to be honest, if we look at ourselves and we don't just paint some picture of ourselves that we know nobody else sees, We know that we're not actually living out. But if we look at ourselves as we are, we see that apart from a miracle, we're just unlovable. I mean, it's difficult for us to love one another. We're all in this ditch together, up to our eyeballs and the mess that we've created together. You're no better than me, I know, because I see your life. And for us to be able to embrace each other even like that, how can a holy God embrace us? When I know I've sinned and I struggle to come to God and speak to him and say, Father, forgive me. And to not feel like he's standing back far with his arms crossed going, we'll see. We'll see. Prove it. Prove it. And if I believe that this is God's demeanor towards me, that he's standing far off, waiting for me to finally prove my affections and my love for him, then all that it proves is that I have not come to a full realization of what Christ accomplished on the cross. That's all it proves. It doesn't prove that I'm farther away from God than I thought. It doesn't prove whether or not I'm saved. It just proves that the depth of my belief in what the scriptures say has not come to the point of full realization and acceptance. Jesus died for me to reconcile me to God. Not to just patch things up. Not so that God would just tolerate me or begrudgingly accept me. 
like some black sheep in the family that we don't really talk about and we, we're reluctant to invite to family functions because we don't know what they're going to do or what they're going to say and we're embarrassed to have to tell their story. Oh, that's Cousin Bill. Cousin Bill. He's a different sort of dude. Let's just leave it at that. Anybody else got like a Cousin Bill? I don't have an actual one. So if he hears this, he's not going to be embarrassed. There's no Bill. But everybody's got that kind of family member or that kind of person who comes around where you're like, I, I don't even know how to tell their story. Sometimes I, if I'm being honest, I, I would even admit that I'm a little bit embarrassed when they come around and that, and that we're friends. And that is just not God's demeanor towards us. But we can feel that way. We can sure feel that way, that God is embarrassed that he's called us sons and daughters because look at us. Come on, fam. Look at us. What are we? What are we? We are ragtag, refugee, wanderer type of people who just kind of clawed our way in here and so got tons of baggage, tons of baggage. I know that even as I speak now, there are things that you're filtering all of this speech through that are going, yeah, but... Well, but you don't know about this. Well, if he only knew this. All these exceptions and things and qualifications we put on the gospel. That, that may be true of, of people like you or people like him or like her, but you don't know me. Everybody in the room can say that of themselves. None of us is special. All of us were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But listen, he has now reconciled you in his body through his death on the cross. He died in your place, died in your own place. And what he accomplished through his death was suffering what we deserved so that we could enjoy what he deserved. When we begin to really come to grips with that, uh, there's something that has to take place in us. And, and it's a very difficult thing. And to be honest, most of us feel like we're being a little arrogant and, and not walking with real genuine humility if we allow ourselves to just completely believe this, embrace this, speak openly about this, we can, we can even be called and accused of being like hyper grace or something like that. But you know that grace is hyper. Actual biblical grace is scandalous. It's completely scandalous. In, in human terms, it is not what we deserve. That's the whole point. That's how grace is defined. So when we, if we come to a point where, where you and I are willing to say that we have been absolutely, I mean that in the literal sense, like there's nothing that exists outside of it, everything is contained within it, absolutely reconciled to a holy God and have been made holy and blameless and above reproach before him so that we can have relationship with him that's full Nothing from us hidden from God, nothing from God hidden from us. 
He knows us completely and accepts us completely. Then we could begin walking in a way that borders on swagger. It, it borders on it. Because if we get into the flesh, then we're walking around with our chest puffed out like, I can't do anything wrong. I got like a get out of jail free card. I'm all good. And you're just, dun, 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 right? Just, walk, just strutting down the street. And nobody can accuse you. Nobody can condemn you. No matter how, no matter how life is going, you're holy and blameless and above reproach. You're in Christ. You occupy a space that only Christ could be in before in a holy place with God. Man, if you get into the flesh, that can go sideways real quickly, right? And you could just become a religious pig and an arrogant jerk. And and nobody could ever say, hey, bro, that wasn't right. Pooh, I'm above reproach. Man, you can't talk to your wife like that. I am holy and blameless. So whatever is happening is working. And the wife is like, holy and blameless. Hmm. Already and not yet. So, so here, here's the point. We have got to accept these truths, which believe it or not, are some of the most difficult truths to really embrace in all of the Bible. The ones that are the most hopeful. The ones that make us most secure. The, the things that are, that are unspeakable and unthinkable apart from a miracle of God. The things that Jesus accomplished on the cross for us to make us who we are. Secure, hopeful, free. Those, I think, are the most difficult things to accept because if we accept them in the flesh and, and run with them in a direction that Jesus didn't mean for us to run with, we can really become people who are taking gospel things and making them about us and not about God. So to hear this, that we have been reconciled through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that we've been presented to the Father as holy and blameless and above reproach before him, has to be marked by a genuine, authentic following of Jesus which means we're disciples of his, followers of his. We are, our, our reconciliation to, the God, to God doesn't end with us. We're not the end of the story. You're reconciled, all about you, making much of you. That's the story, the end. If that's the end, then, then what is the rest of life about? And how do we avoid walking with swagger with arrogance, like we're untouchable, like we've got nothing to learn or nothing to grow into. Well, here it is, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, all of this has been accomplished by Christ in order to present you as holy before a holy God, if indeed you continue. If indeed you continue. Now when Paul says that, 
the Greek there, when he says if, if indeed, it's not that there's something up in the air and it may go this way or it may go that way. There's actually, in the Greek language there, there's a certainty about what he's saying. It's almost a foregone conclusion. It's almost like he said, when you continue, if indeed you continue in the faith, in the faith in what Jesus accomplished for you, and if you remember and have faith in what Jesus accomplished for you, then you're constantly aware of the fact that you have to be saved. You had to be rescued. And that you are not the end of it. But Christ will be exalted, magnified, lifted up. He'll split the sky one day and come with a sword drawn from his mouth, his robe dipped in blood, make war on his enemies, save you forever to live a life of peace and goodness with him in a new heaven and a new earth with he himself reigning as king. That's the end of the story. Brothers and sisters, you've been reconciled to your God so that you would be his people, so that he could enjoy you, so that he could glorify himself through you, so that everything you suffer and everything you endure in this pays off with glory for Christ. Glory for Christ. So it's all, every bit of it, the reconciliation, the death on the cross, the resurrection from the grave so that death and sin are conquered and our death and our sin are conquered to be presented to God as holy and blameless and above reproach is about Jesus. So we're living this life constantly aware of our identity Remembering where we came from as we're constantly aware of how secure we are in Christ. And so we don't walk with swagger, rather we walk with faith. We walk with stability and steadfastness, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. To believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he did. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to keep you. He's going to hold on to you. You will remain. You will be steadfast. You will be faithful. Not because you're so awesome, because that was never the point. Because Jesus, because of Jesus. So this is just the gospel all over again. And, and our reconciliation to God is the heart of the gospel. But now the question is, when we're pursuing verse 23, to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel, this is our pursuit. These are our marching orders. This is, this is the tone of life from the day Jesus saved you until the day they put you in the ground. This is life, to hope in Christ, to trust him, to give your whole self to him. And whatever that entails, whatever the ramifications are, not shifting, not shifting. It's a daily, moment-by-moment pursuit of Christ to not shift from the hope, from the hope and the gospel. We, we shift all the time by hoping in other things. 
And, and as Americans, it's just we're inundated with the temptation to hope in things not named Jesus. Money. Money. Can I, can I please just take a moment and tell you if uh, we're being plain today. We know where we all come from. We know where we fail. We know the temptations we face. Can I speak to you about hope and money Brothers and sisters, it will fail you. It will fail you. And you will so sorely regret if you ever hope in it. You may spend a hundred years feeling like it paid off. And then you will so sorely regret it. Don't hope in money. Hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. He's so much better than money. Listen, I'm speaking to us because we're us. Hope in Christ. He's better than anything else. It's why Paul says, don't shift. Don't shift from hoping in Christ. As soon as you hope in something else, you fall on your face and you regret it. It will fail you. Christ will never fail you. Don't shift. He cannot fail you. Like Romans 5 says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces our character, and character produces our hope, and our hope will not put us to shame because of the Holy Spirit who's been poured into our hearts. It will not put us to shame. We won't be disappointed. We'll never regret it if we hope in Christ. But this hope in Christ is grounded in our daily continuance in the faith. Remembering where we come from. Laying hold of the fact that we've been reconciled to a holy God. That can't be undone. You cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot go so far that he can't reach you. In fact, it's laughable. It's laughable. To think that God could make up his mind to reconcile us to himself. That he would go so far as to die on a cross at the, home, at the hands of Roman and Jewish mockers and persecutors. To be whipped and spit on. That he would go that far to reconcile you. And that you could just sin. And God would go, well that all went down the drain. You just can't do it. So the encouragement, the pleading this morning is directed at continuing in the faith, stable in these truths, steadfast in these truths, not shifting from these truths. All of your hope is founded on these truths. You have been reconciled to God through Christ. Hope in it completely. If we, if we get to the point where we're winning here, then there just isn't anything that we could face that we couldn't overcome. Anything. This is the whole battle for the human soul. So what we want to invite you to do this morning 
is, is wrestle with these truths. And, and I don't mean to discover whether or not it's true, but I mean to discover your own degree of faith and hope in these things. They just are true. Where are we? Where are we here? Are we shifting? Are we stable? Are we steadfast? Are we being faithful? Are we looking to Jesus? Are we remembering where we've come from, what we've been saved from, or have we been lying to ourselves about how bad it was and about why Jesus had to die for me? Let's take time and wrestle with this. And if there's anything in us that seeks to justify ourselves or to make exceptions or to somehow nullify what Christ has accomplished because we think we're too bad, we've gone too far. Just read it. Just read it and let it speak to you. You, you can't beat that. You can't talk God out of that. So let's wrestle with it. Let's go to the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.